Still waiting on that second seat. Let's get started. And they are going to win! Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix! Three cars going well to win as Perez is caught by Charles Leclerc and his three cars gone off! It's a DNF for MAX! The world championship record is equals. Lewis Hamilton, seven-time champion of the world! You're going to be waiting a really long time. I don't think anyone knows yet. I, it might at yeah. this point. I, to be to be honest, I think we we're not going to find out until post season. Perhaps they aren't. I'd agree. If you would like some context for that short but sweet intro um, there, that we are referring to the second Alfa Romeo seat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and, um, yes. Who's going to get it? Given that the front runner, let's say, is. Mm-hmm. is Joe at the moment. But, yep. well, supposedly it was supposed to be Andretti taking over Alfa Romeo. But given that looks like it's falling through, who knows at the moment? Uh, it probably will be Joe then, given the amount of money he's bringing to the sport. But I, I think we're going to have to wait a little bit longer for that, that second Alfa Romeo suit. I'd like to see some some other drivers from um, the lower divisions from Formula 2 get into the... Uh, get into the sport mm-hmm. so of course joe i suppose fills that but perhaps maybe one that isn't bringing 30 million euros with them you know that's the primary reason he perhaps is getting the seat yeah yeah preferably someone who's doing slightly better i'd say in the league table of f2 but yeah it's so ironic because a few weeks ago all the rumors were saying it was a question of when not if joe would get the seat and uh, we're still waiting because of i suppose the uh, instability and uh, insecurity of who will own uh, Alfa Romeo moving forward. So yes, we wait another week, and this is the week before the uh, Mexican Grand Prix, before the start of that triple header. But we've got one or two other things to sort of conclude and wrap up from the last Grand Prix from Austin, Texas, which we want to go over today. And to start with, we're talking about track limits. Now, I believe Tristan, there's something you want to sort of uh, get get uh, get off your chest or discuss more about track limits regarding this race in particular. Yeah, the the end of last of the last race and going into that that particular podcast remember we said we we're going to compartmentalize each sort of suppose different section of the race and we discussed the hamilton versus verstappen sort of side of things and the back markers and one of the things that kept coming up throughout this throughout that weekend was the track limits problem because it seemed like poor Fernando Alonso, well, he, he just was running into the walls with, with everybody when it came to track limits. There was uh, an incident around turn one and going into turn two between Alonso and Raikkonen, where Alonso pushed Raikkonen off the track. And as a result, Raikkonen got past Alonso because he had more speed. And then... That was classed as okay from the the FIA, from the the race stewards. And later on, we had an instant where Alonso flies past, I think it's Esteban Ocon. And um, everyone goes, well, he's going to have to clearly yield that. And Alonso just goes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was was, was like, um, clearly you outbraked yourself and flew off the Mm. track. And you can't just claim the the places there. Um, Mm -hmm. And then when they were told, the Alpine team were told to get Alonso to give the place back, 
Um, let's just say the Alpine team weren't particularly happy with it. And we got a wonderful exchange between uh, Alpine and Michael Massey, who yet again sounds like a defeated parent discussing the situation <laughs> with um, the, I suppose, the children, which are the, the teams. In fact, I'll put in the bit of radio that I'm talking about right now for you to listen to. So, Michael, can I just confirm we can overtake on off the track if we're going around the outside of another car, yeah? No, you can't overtake off the track. Well, that's what Riken has just done. I understand. So, so it's okay? No, it's not okay. But, but it's okay for Riken. No, it's not okay for anyone. Very spiky, eh? Very it, spiky. It is. It, you can tell he's just, he's a man that has had enough. I mean, the cheek of them to be like, well, is it okay <laughs> when other people go around us? Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's that sort of uh, irritating mentality. And I'm, I'm really pleased that we get to hear the whining between teams because it's it's now becoming one of my favourite things um, <laughs> in the sport, just hearing these moanings going on. Mm-hmm. But clearly, there are there is yet again some misunderstanding when it comes to track limits, and track limits caused a lot of problems for drivers. For example, I think it was in uh, free practice two. Uh, Mazepin, his best time was like a two minute something, and I was like, "How on earth does that happen? How on earth is he that <laughs> slow?" Because I know we joke, but even he isn't that slow. Mm. As it turned mm. out, he failed to set a single lap. Like flying lap time oh, because wow. his his lap times kept getting deleted, um, and so within the race, this is part of the reason why he fell back so far. Tom was because in the race he basically had to tone it down and turn uh, <laughs> tone down his already relatively slow flying lap, just so that he wouldn't push the car off the track limits each time because Haas couldn't risk that. So clearly we're yet again we're into the the situation where drivers are misunderstanding the 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 track limit situation and i think it's worth exploring the differences between why Raikkonen was allowed to keep pace versus alonso and alonso was forced to give back the place to ocon and eventually later in the race ocon yielded to alonso for the same reason and the short answer is because if you push someone off the track then it's not their fault if you if you outbreak yourself then it's your fault, and then therefore you have to give the track back. And I don't think I don't think it's that difficult, Tom. I don't know why drivers mm, need to find mm. this difficult. Yeah, no, I have to agree as well. I'm not too sure what was in Alonso's cornflakes that morning, but he really seemed to be sort of fighting the world and anyone who came in his way. Not only that incident with Kimi Raikkonen, I believe he also had incidents with uh, Giovinazzi as well, unless I'm being mistaken. So... There's no doubt in my mind that the team were throwing doubt to him at the end of that race. And it's even more ironic when you consider that um, Alonso actually DNF'd in this race as well. But um, yeah, there was a lot of sort of giving places back and overshooting the runway quite clearly when they would know that when Alonso knew quite clearly, I think, that he was going to go off and have to rejoin the track aggressively. Giovinazzi doing the same thing back to him. I think it's just one of those where frustration comes into play here I think it's one of those where they were ultimately fighting for well no points at that stage because it was for 11th 12th and 13th place but um but they just want to get ahead of I suppose their competitors and I think to be fair Alfa Romeo were quite annoyed insofar that they're behind Williams now by a number of points they're clearly um, second from last ahead of Haas and 
I don't know, I suppose it's one of those where Alonso as well is um, wanting to show his worth, wanting to get perhaps a bit more out of the car than he possibly can in this Alpine. But um, a very bizarre one, because when you think of the people who were sort of falling fault of this, you know, Raikkonen, Alonso, Giovinazzi and at times Ocon, these are all very experienced Formula 1 drivers. If this was Mazepin, uh, Sonoda... Um, Hell, even someone like Lando Norris or Gasly who had less experience, you'd go, oh, okay, well, I can kind of see where why they're doing that because, you know, it's just naivety and inexperience, you know. It's their first season the car in many cases or, you know, uh, the first few times um, going around this circuit, for example, considering that um, the Grand Prix in the US was cancelled owing to you-know-what. Um, but, yeah, so very, very odd. But I think the way that it's being dealt with Insofar that if you clearly gain an advantage by having all four wheels off the track, um, that's punished by giving the place back. And if you don't, you get a time penalty of sorts. I think that's fine. But I think there's always going to be an element of subjectivity when it comes to this. And I personally don't think that when it came to the Kimi versus Alonso uh, scenario, that Kimi did gain a substantial advantage. But then again, if you're Team Alpine, then you're naturally going to be furious because you've lost a place where, I suppose, some wheels are not on the tarmac, shall we say. Yeah, but Alonso has exploited um, track limits for uh, for a while now. It, during the Sochi Grand Prix, on the opening lap, Alonso scouted, let's say, the runoff area in order to determine whether or not he could drive through the artificial chicane on the opening lap and gain some positions, which he did. If you watch the opening lap of mm. Sochi, you'll see Alonso go flying off, exploiting the fact that he could go through the mini chicane. And he wasn't penalised um, by it. And he ended mm. up gaining gaining some places there. And another example is Lando Norris. If you remember during the Monza Grand Prix, he... Uh, just before he decided to go wide, um, just before the start finish straight, basically slingshotting the car as 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 you have a, he basically creates an artificially um, obtuse angle, mm-hmm. um, which means he can carry more speed through onto the far, start finish straight, which allowed him to overtake um, a, and get up some positions. So we seem to have got into this weird position where. It kind of, in some areas, you get penalised for exploiting track positions and 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 track limits, and other times you don't. And in my opinion, and I know it's a bit controversial, but if you go out, for example, Lando Norris, Lando Norris and Fernando Alonso both purposefully went off the off the track and didn't overtake anyone till they were back onto the track, if you'd like, right? So. Mm. In doing that, I think they've still broken track limits. And, of course, then you say, well, on a minute, there's the penalty system. Well, actually, Lando Norris did get the um, a little strike against his name. You know, you get three strikes and the black and white flag. And they were like, uh, Norris, by the way, you've been, you know, you've got another strike. But he knew that. He, he calculated that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're at a weird point in track limits where we have kind of this, like, half-hearted system where drivers who are let's say a bit uh savvy will mm. exploit the system and create an unfair advantage and i think we have to just 
have a very simple rule, which is, is if all four tyres cross the um, the line, then I think the stewards, you know, let's say if you, <laughs> it's difficult, I know, but if all four tyres cross the line, then that's it. You're out of, out of track limits. Times get deleted. And, you know, as long as it's not someone pushing you off the track, then you shouldn't have to be able to overtake someone. There is always going to be this ambiguity because Stuart, it's always going to come down to Stuart's opinions. But it should be that if you if you exploit track track position to gain a speed advantage, that speed advantage can't allow you to overtake other cars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So would it be one of those, do you think, where, let's say, in the Lando Norris example, where oh, Fernando Alonso indeed as well, where they've gained an advantage by going off the track, they then cannot overtake the person in front of them for, let's say, the rest of the lap? Would that be your view? Not necessarily the the, um, the the rest of the lap, but clearly... Well, that sector then, maybe. In Alonso's example, cutting the corner at turn two, because he exploited that and immediately got to overtake somebody and gain that advantage, then he has to give it back. Or in the Lando Norris example, because he slingshotted himself to gain an advantage you just assess it like you would any other times that you assess whether or not you've gained an advantage on another another driver. For example, you're not allowed to yield in Formula 1 at a place where you're immediately going to then take the place back, right? Yes. So yes. that's it. It was clear that Lando Norris gained advantage by slingshotting, and it was clear that uh, Alonso cut cut turn two to, to gain some advantage, and so you just give them back. That's it. You, you just, you know, I can... I, I accept that you're allowed to um, gain it for maybe a speed advantage because any any other driver can do that, but that speed advantage isn't allowed to correlate to an overtake. It's, it's difficult, I know, but we do have a weird grey area at the moment when it comes to these tracks um, and whether or not we're going to enforce the turn and track limits all the time and to be honest i think we should yeah no i think to be fair the um discipline or the uh, sort of measures that comes in for when you do violate track limits is good but i think it's one of those where perhaps the FIA needs to be a bit more hawkish um in what they're doing and to make examples of those who really do exploit the uh the sort of scenario they're in because i think thinking back to that alonso one it was very clear that yes, he sort of danced through all of the sort of pretty cones and polystyrene uh, areas to go and say, "Hey, I'm rejoining the track safely." But still, there was an advantage gained because of the angle he was going at versus everybody else, and the fact that he was not surrounded by traffic. You know, if you're discounting the polystyrene um, uh, pointers, shall we say? But yes, I think I, I'd, I'd say that would be my takeaway. Like. Be a bit more hawkish about it. Don't be afraid to, I say, lay the law down a bit more. But the law itself, I don't think, uh, is broken insofar as perhaps other areas we spoke about in previous episodes, like Blue Flags, for example, do need a bit of work. Maybe. No, but the, Al- the Alonso example was just particularly irritating because, to be clear, he was sixth, and then by going mm. through the the polystyrene chicane, he then emerged in third before dropping back into into yeah. fifth that's insane that's so yeah. ridiculous he it's knew madness, exactly what yeah. he was doing mm-hmm. so i think we should adapt the rules i think it should be they should make it much tougher on drivers um i think that if it's clear that they've exploited turn limits for a significant reason they shouldn't even have the three point three three um strikes and you're out sort of system i think that just encourages drivers to take the mickey three times 
And you might well sit there, listeners, and think, well, hold on a minute, we're just putting more power into the steward's hands and everything becomes more vague. But actually, sometimes, and I know it sounds a bit counterintuitive, but vagueness and less strict rules can actually create better and more lenient rules. It's part of the reason. It's like tax. It's just tax. If you, The more rules you set out in tax, the more loopholes you create. The more blanket the terms, the easier it is. So let's, fingers crossed, there is some uh, going forward into the next sort of portion of this this season um, and and beyond. There is an assessment of the, of the rules. But, hey... You still got to give it to them, though. It's blimmin' innovative. Oh, 100 percent. It's one of those as well. Like, I would not want to be Michael Massey, not only having to sort of lay down the law in some very subjective uh, sort of case studies, I guess, but also getting, I suppose, a real rollicking from various teams. About, oh my God, Michael! I can't believe you've done this, Michael. <laughs> Michael, Michael, you better go and take our side, Michael. It's oh my but God! Like he I would just did literally it first. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You better go and act appropriately, Michael, I think was the words of one Red Bull uh, member of staff after that Silverstone uh, debacle way back when. So yes, moving forwards this weekend, we are back in Mexico. Once again, another Grand Prix that fell victim to COVID-19. But all the talk this week is largely about the Mercedes engine. Um, now, when it comes to Mexico, the uh, Mercedes team have won the last three Grand Prix from 17 to 19, but it's largely been dubbed as sort of Red Bull territory because the Honda engine is largely better equipped uh, for the circuit itself. And Valtteri Bottas, after getting three grid penalties in the last four races, <laughs> is actually quite optimistic about Mercedes' chances this weekend after saying that the engine has now been optimised. So what's our thoughts on that, Tristan? Is that just a war of words? Are we actually hopeful that a Mercedes can, I suppose, extend their record when it comes to uh, Mexico? Well, what do you make of these comments? Do you know where the record is, Tom, for the furthest distance cycled in one hour? <laughs> no idea. Wouldn't even begin to it's guess. It's in Mexico. Okay, right. That would make sense. Yep. Yeah, and do you know why it's in Mexico? Um, long roads. <laughs> no, it's done out of Velodrome, and it's it's because the air is twenty five percent less dense than it is um, at sea level, which okay. is quite interesting. And the also the the Mexican um, Grand Prix will be two thousand meters above sea level, so it's it's very the air there is 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 far less dense than it is. Um, for example, at the let's say the UK Silverstone Grand Prix, and for engines, that means the air is less dense, which means there is therefore less oxygen going into um, the system, which means you get a less efficient burn each time. Um, if if you wanted to know, the the air you breathe is roughly twenty percent oxygen, so you can see how these percentage decreases make a big impact so what they're talking about is how well the engine is optimized to deal with these conditions in which there, there is less oxygen around okay because it's less dense so mercedes is saying that this time they've they've really tried to optimize the power unit um and that they will be able to deal with the the high altitude and Bottas. That's what Bottas is basically saying. Uh, and so, it, on paper, I suppose this is a really strong race for Red Bull. We know that the the Honda power unit can cope with those conditions quite well. And 
we know also that the Red Bulls got a very strong aero package. Um, so this is a good, I suppose, territory for them. Of course, I, I suppose us saying this great territory for Red Bull is massively undermined by the fact that Mercedes keeps winning there. But uh, that, just, yeah, yeah. that just tells you, I think, how good Mercedes have been over the last few years. And so I'm I'm kind of excited going into this because we have this kind of, kind of weird situation where all the eyes now on Red Bull because they have the strongest Honda engine that we've, we've seen um, since they've come back into the sport paired with a good aero package paired with the champion current championship leader versus the historic winners who apparently have optimized their engines so this could it's going to be a really exciting race tom i think i think mercedes potentially are going to do very well here but i i, I don't know my my gut feeling is is even with an optimized package um, the Mercedes engine being the Mercedes engine, you can't overhaul everything in a single year. I think perhaps Red Bull will have the the pace advantage here, uh, even if people like Bottas are saying, "Well, I think you know the engine's optimized," and you never know. Bottas might get another penalty. I wouldn't put it past him just yet. He seems <laughs> to be expanding his collection of engine parts. Um, Honestly, he's got his own little fleet now. <laughs> of engines behind him, which is absolute shame. I dread to think how much um, those engines cost. I have no idea, but I mean, he's but he's stacked up a massive bill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He really is rinsing every last penny he can get out of that Mercedes team before he he scootles off to uh, to Alfa Romeo. But yes, I think this could be a really interesting race, and I think it was vital. Now that Mercedes took these steps, I suppose, to optimise their engine. Despite it being a great record, I suppose you want to go and cover off all different angles that you can. And when you look back at uh, 2019, it was the Red Bulls that qualified really well. Max Verstappen in first, and then Alex Albon in fifth, which for him is like basically a second or first place in of itself. Didn't quite translate in the race, however, when you had Albon retaining his fifth place, but uh, Lewis Hamilton winning the race. Meanwhile, his competitor for this season, Max Verstappen, qualifying down in a lowly sixth place behind Alex Albon so I suppose when it comes to Red Bull they know they've got the pace here in terms of qualifying but how that translates into races is you know where this championship is going to be won and lost but about these comments I think that um if Valtteri Bottas is saying them and when we consider that Bottas will be without a penalty this time I think Mercedes are going into this with a quite confidence, really, because they know they've got a good record. They know they've got Lewis Hamilton, who's a quality driver, with a better engine and package, as you say, with Valtteri Bottas hopefully being in the top three, four, or maybe even five in the worst-case scenario with the pace that he has and the good form he's been on. I think this is going to be really, really close. And once again, when we consider about, you know, who needs to do well, Where's it going to be won and lost? I think Sergio Perez, at his home race, could once again hold the key to who wins this. We saw him do so well uh, in Austin, particularly when you consider that you know he was without water for literally the entire race and yet was still able to be uh, in third place. I think it really comes down to how he does to who wins the team battle. And I suppose it comes down to the drivers too, you know, as, I, as the whole sort of saying suggests, uh, who wins the drivers' um, uh, race in that one, who extends their advantage uh, in the championship or claws a bit back, shall we say. 
Yeah, and let's not forget that these Mercedes engines are, are also for their customer teams. So Williams, for example, will be looking at this and and so will uh, McLaren. And they'll be thinking, right, well, this is, a, this is a good opportunity for us as well. Especially for McLaren, because the Ferrari engine isn't too bad at high altitude. So they really need uh, the, an optimization for themselves because the championship... Um, for for them in for third position is really really close so they've got to that they'll be looking at this i suppose uh, the, this advancement from from mercedes and thinking right good thank goodness for that because currently there's only three and a half points in it between mclaren and and ferrari in in third and fourth place respectively so we we can't we can't just ignore the fact that as much as we, as we want this to be close between Mercedes and Red Bull, it actually has a massive knock-on effect for, for McLaren and Ferrari as well. I'm not so sure about the Renault engine, actually, how it copes in, in, in high altitude. If you have any idea, Tom, um, please let me know. But <laughs> from... Not from, really. <laughs> I feel like Renault's sort of been forgotten a little bit this season. Everyone's been concentrating on Alpine and, and that constructor. Uh, that... We forget that Renault is sort of a power unit uh, maker. I don't really know how, the, the, how long they're going to stay in the sport, to be honest, given they've got no customer team. And so they're, they're sort of sitting there as as a team at the moment, I feel, which doesn't necessarily have a great um, junior lineup either, given that Fernando Alonso is, is stuck in the second seat for a while. And, well... Um, Ocon is is doing a relatively good job, so I think that it, they I don't know they're sitting in a in a weird position at the moment. And to be honest, given that um, Alpine are in fifth, I think that's really fitting for them as well. It's smack bang in the middle. I feel I don't know about you, Tom, but I feel a bit disappointed with Alpine and Renault at at the moment. They kind of they're kind of fizzling out, and I'm I'm not really sure why because Renault is such a giant in Formula One. Let, let's not forget that they. You know they were kind of iconic in the in the mid noughties and the sort of two thousand and eight time with Fernando Alonso and 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 they they came back into the sport a few years ago and with this big promise to to as a as a team to continue their their road to success. Bear in mind that they had been they pre, you know they projected Red Bull um, to their successes as well um, and they've kind of gone from hero to not zero but just fifth mm. and fifth mm. is nowhere mm. and i don't necessarily know what alonso is adding to the team let's don't get me wrong he's doing a great job as a driver but in terms of giving the team direction i think to, to coin a phrase from toto wolf <laughs> that alonso believes he is the center of the the alpine slash renault universe whereas actually he is just part of the solar system i think you make a very good point there because when you say that i think back to uh drive to survive i believe it was and i, I suppose you've got to go and take this with a pinch of salt but the mclaren team was very much built around alonso or alonso very much was the sort of judge jury and executioner the kingpin uh of that uh of that team but then when you look at how poorly that team was doing you kind of got to think well 
was that to everyone's advantage? Well, it certainly wasn't to Stoffel van Dorns, who had a, such an awful time there. And I think the danger is that, once again, they're building it around Alonso, which, you know, I don't think building a team around a driver is necessarily a bad thing when you look at how well uh, Red Bull are doing and when you consider very much that they're built around Verstappen. But Verstappen's incredibly young, and Alonso, well, he isn't. So the question is, how long is that going to last, and what sort of consequences could that have when one day Alonso goes, right, I've had enough, and then you've got um, Esteban Ocon, let's say, I suppose he's part of the academy at least, Wan Yuzhou coming in and going, right, let's pick up the pieces. Um, this car is exactly not what I want to drive at all because it's built around, you know, a 40-year-old Spaniard. Um, so, it's, I don't know, I, I kind of feel it's hand-to-mouth existence at the moment for Alpine. My expectations for them were quite low going into the season because I think Renault pulling out from Formula 1 and, you know, throwing the team, I guess, over to their sort of sports um, sports car brand, branded version of their car, it's a bit of a sort of a psychological backstep. And while we've seen Alonso do good stuff as a driver, you know, Ocon winning a race, which is fantastic, the highs have been great, sure, but there's been far more lows, I think, for the team than there have been highs. And when you consider that, when was it, sort of back in 2012 or 13, that we were told that right about now, Renault would be fighting for championships. Daniel Ricciardo went there and, you know, was told by Cyril that uh, the former... The former um, team principal for those who don't know that he would be there to go and win races and get podiums and while that happened occasionally there were far more times that he was in and around 11th and 10th place so I don't know I'm I'm kind of thinking that yes they've done probably better than my expectations but hey the bar I set for them was incredibly low so yeah is fifth place amazing not really and when you consider that they're without customer teams as well Formula One is very much built around the relationships you have and they they cut a very isolated figure at the moment. I do fear for them. Is fifth enough to keep Alpine and Renault committed to the sport? I'd say yes, but not in the long term. I think it it does the job, I guess, for a, a couple more seasons. But you've got to consider that if it's just consistently fifth, then eventually I think the the drivers, for example, who could be tempted by them or previously were, go, well, they're not going anywhere. The sponsors go, well, they're not going anywhere. And then I suppose everyone else goes, well, they're not going anywhere. And uh, the only way they go is up the sport, really. But um, mm, yeah, I'd say fifth. If they get fifth and then are able to build on that, fine. But when you consider they got fourth, uh, we're very much, you know, the best of the rest. And now they just frankly aren't. It's 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 going backwards, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and there's ten points at the moment between AlphaTauri and Honda, and it's it's worth mentioning, I suppose, that AlphaTauri is supposed to be the junior car to the Red Bull, and has now been uh, given the the title of of sister team. But given the the points differential at the moment, that that might be let's say on a on a season by season basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But oh, and actually on, on just on that I. Um, I was looking at the statistics for Gasly, and actually Gasly seems to be performing as well as he did this season as last year, as last season, which is is weird because I think he did way better, um, but apparently not. It's um, it's funny how we seem to have a this season we've had that sort of inconsistent Gasly 
Whereas last season, we had that consistent Gasly. But that consistent Gasly of last season was scoring less points each time than this Gasly, which seems to have, like, got massive points in places. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Yeah. All of these interesting, right. like, stats, if you go looking for them. But... Yeah, no, fifth place. Um, I don't think it's enough Alpine and Renault at the moment. I definitely think they've fallen into um, the trap of, of for, for this year of, of waiting till uh, next year uh, in order to, to invest lots of their money because mm. that's when the new changes to the cars come. And I am hoping they, they pick themselves up a little bit. I would very much like it to be uh, like, like last season when we had that three-way fight-ish for... Um, Sort of third, yeah. fourth, and and fifth place, which was really, really great to see. But no, I I think fifth isn't good enough for Renault, especially um, being so far away, perhaps from Ferrari. It, it, let's imagine it was it was Alpine on on a hundred. Oh, sorry, two hundred and forty points. Then actually, it's only uh, fourteen points between Ferrari, McLaren, and Alpine at that point, and that's okay, right? You can accept mm. fifth position if it's really, really tight. But yes. currently, there is 146.5 points between Alpine and Ferrari. And and that's just, as I say, that's just not good enough. They are, I mean, Alpine is basically two DNFs away from Alpha, Ta- Alpha Tauri Honda and perhaps even Aston Martin from overtaking them in, in, in the structures. And, you know, you can't count your chickens before they've come home to roost. And we are getting closer to the end of the season. But... We're about to go into a, a triple header. Mistakes will will come fast and come unexpectedly over the next sort of three races, and you never know. They might end up losing losing that position to Alpha Tauri and be sixth, and then well, that's just they're into dire straits just then. And when you consider as well that Alpha Tauri, they've got one driver in uh, Gasly, as we spoke about doing so well. But then Sonoda doing, you know, so poorly. Granted, it's his first season in the sport, but he's not exactly uprooted any tree, shall we say. Then it really does beg the question, if you're someone like LP and you go, well, hang on, we brought in Alonso because he was going to be the driver who would, you know, pull the car, sort of drag, um, kicking and screaming um, up the leaderboard, so to speak, and uh, Ocon was always there as Mr. Consistent, then you got to think, well, how are we being beaten by a driver and a half with respect to uh, Sonoda? Um, and as, as you're saying, like, you've got Ocon, who has got three DNFs, you've got Alonso with two, and you consider how inconsistent Ocon's car was as well the season before. I think that was a large factor really why they weren't able to sort of win that three-way fight between themselves, uh, McLaren and Racing Point, because the reliability issues of the sort of Renault engine, and let's not forget that's the main reason why Red Bull decided, you know what, no more, enough's enough, we're going on to Honda, because the engine just wasn't reliable. And when you consider that, as you say, if that happens again in terms of DNFs, both of them, one of them for, let's say, I don't know, the last uh, five races or so, if that happens once, twice, three times, then they're in real trouble, really, which um, you've got to think, how can you build a, a solid base to, you know, propel yourself up to fourth and you know, let's say even above and win races or be on the podium consistently if once again the reliability issues are biting you again? And these are the problems that have just led them to losing their customer teams. The reliability issues for Red Bull. There was, if you go back and watch Drive to Survive, for example, there's a there's a whole narrative there about the angry, <laughs> yeah. angry, angry between Christian Horner um, and the then team principal of Renault, 
Cyril. And then they moved to McLaren, and McLaren kind of had some some reliability issues. Now they're with Mercedes. So, I don't know. I think the, the future for, for Renault slash Alpine is an interesting one. It's definitely one where some people think they're pulling out. I'm not so convinced yet, which is a shame, because I really like the Alpine brand. I like the cars. Um, I think they make a really cool sort of Porsche um, rival for the road. But whether or not they're a good fit for Formula 1, I think we'll have to, only time will tell. But I think, really, the litmus test will be next year, whether or not they can make progress with the new kind of car design. And we do have to remember, Tom, that this this year is the last of the the current design and lots of teams from Haas, Williams, Ferrari, they've, they've all said that they're, they're piling their money until next year. Yeah. And I suppose the sort of closing remarks for me would be, you've got all these teams, you know, Alpine, Haas, uh, Alpha Tauri, Aston Martin saying, Hey, next year, next year's the one you watch out for that. Well, um, not everyone can win, can they? There will have to be some winners and losers uh, from that battle, uh, be it in the midfield and uh, from fifth to fourth to third, all the way to the top and the bottom. So, um, yeah, interesting to see how that one pans out. And so ends episode 28 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much, dear listener, from wherever you're listening to this episode, for listening all the way to the end where we try to sort of fill the gap between uh, this weekend on the 5th of November we're going to Mexico but the fun doesn't stop there because next weekend on the 12th of November to be exact when it starts we go over to Brazil and then the final instalment of the triple header we're heading to the new edition to this uh, season of F1 in terms of the calendar the Qatari Grand Prix where hey we're not going to say that things are going to be decided by them but maybe a clearer picture in terms of the midfield battles the battles for third and fourth and maybe even for the constructors one and two and hey maybe even the drivers as well but there we are hoping it will go down to the bitter end to the the famous showdown uh circuit of abu dhabi (laughs) 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 that old showdown eh yeah (laughs) the old famous showdown at Abu Dhabi famed for its excellent racing prowess and epic battles as, Absolutely. as long as you only ever watched the 2015 season uh, aside from that has there been a fight there? Uh, probably not anyway <laughs> dear 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 we'll save that for another episode but until next time thank you very much for listening <laughs>